the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to Pure Opelka. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. It is the second hour of today's show. We dedicated the first hour of today's show to uh, the crisis right now. And we'll get back to that crisis, the situation with North Korea and its threats against America and our territory of Guam. And why Guam, you say? That's where those B-1 bombers were based, the ones that did the flyover last week. This guy's not an idiot. He may be uh, unpredictable and, and a little bit crazy, but he's not a dummy. Far from it, in fact. But we'll, we'll get back to that. And if you do want to see, uh, I posted the picture of the entrance to the JFK bomb shelter of the, that was on the property he and Jackie and the kids were in early on in his presidency. I posted the entrance on my Twitter account at StuntBrain. You can see it. I'm going to take you inside via video later on this hour. You'll be able to uh, go on Twitter and see that as well. I think it's fascinating to think that we actually had a president who wasn't in a uh, in a bomb shelter underneath underneath 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but on the weekends he actually had a a place in the country that he rented. Let's think about that. Rented a home for he and Jackie and the kids and of course Macaroni the pony. Joining us as he always does on Wednesdays, um, Dr. Jorge Rodriguez. You can find him at drjorge.com. One of my friends, uh, he's also, I think, one of the best guys for explaining medicine and health and giving us common sense solutions. I still point you, if you are worried about the diabetes, the Diabetes Solution book has common sense uh, info and recipes. So, Check it out. It's on Amazon. It's been out a couple of years. So it's, it's, uh, it's not a book that goes away because the, the knowledge is forever. But Dr. Jorge's back with us. And, and welcome back, sir. How are you? Thank you. I'm well. I'm well. How are you doing, Mike? I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nervous, but thank God Secretary Tillerson said he's sleeping well. There's no imminent threat. We should all sleep well. There's no need for duck and cover drills. So I'm trying yeah, to ratchet it down a little bit, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. It, it is very um, anxiety-producing. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I don't want to get it. I want to get editorial here. But well, I uh, what yeah. I I opened the show today, Doc, reading uh, Kennedy's speech to the nation from 1962, which I think is a, a direction I wish we would go. And if uh, if you haven't seen it, I'll tweet out a link to it. It's it's actually five yeah. minutes of video that's worth sharing with friends, too. It's, it's statesmanship as well as strength and a belief in peace. Uh, it, it, he just was so spot on. In, in the, the only other time I remember being concerned about a nuke was when was I was five crisis. and that happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, you know, I'm, I was born in Cuba and I, I remember that very well. I mean, that was after we were already here and in Miami. You know, I could see the planes flying overhead going to Homestead Air Force Base um, in southern Florida, which is the, the closest American base to Cuba, um, obviously short of Guantanamo, which is in Cuba. But, yeah, it's scary. And, you know, I, I'm reminded, I think it was Roosevelt who said, you know, speak softly 
but carry a big stick. And words matter. And uh, I just think that, you know, diplomacy is the key, but people need to know that America is strong and will act, you know, to protect um, our own uh, interests. And our uh, friends you know, in that region who I... Ab- yeah, absolutely. Our friends throughout the world. You know, and yeah. that's, what, that's what we need to, to realize. I mean, isolationism is, in my opinion, um, something that sounds good in theory, but it's a thing of the past. You know, it's, it's one big connected world. Um, well, we're, we like it, or it, not. It, it yeah. is it is until you get one jack wagon with 60 nukes. And that, that's that's a, no, a whole different exactly. can of beans that we need to get to yeah. eventually. But I got I got a question sent to me by one of the regular yeah. listeners of this show who happens to be a huge Dr. Jorge fan. And she said, you got to ask him this. So this comes from the Duchess on Twitter, who said, what's the deal? Are doctors and nurses allowed to bring cell phones into the operating room because it seems like it would be really gross and unsanitary and unsafe. All right. Yeah. Uh, no, they're not allowed to bring cell phones into the operating room uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, the, the least of which is probably um, the fact that they may contain germs. And I'll explain that. But they are unsafe because they are distracting just as they are in any job. And that's one of my big pet peeves nowadays with a certain, you know, I think generation of people that grew up with them. You know, when they're working, they are trying to be on their cell phones and you need to focus on your job and and nowhere probably more than in an operating room, whether you're a nurse, whether you're the physician operating, whether you're the anesthesiologist behind, you know, the curtain. All of those are are important. Um, You know, the the surgical tech that's handing the instrument to the surgeon, that's all important. Um, But let me reassure her, there is something in every operating room called a sterile field. So it is a field around the patient um, that is probably a foot, and nothing can penetrate the sterile field uh, that has not been sterilized. And there Mm. is a nurse in in every operating room whose one of their sole jobs is to make sure that nothing penetrates the surgical field. So, for example, the front of the surgeon's gown, the mask, the gloves, the same thing with with the nurses, all of that has been sterilized. If a surgeon or a nurse, for example, puts their hand down to scratch themselves or, or penetrates the sterile field, guess what? They have to leave the sterile field, they have to be reclothed, they have to change their gloves, they have to rewash their hands, and then they have to re-enter the sterile field. So having um, a cell phone within that sterile field around the patient is not only unheard of, it is technically malpractice if it you know if you really do have something there my concern is not that like i said my concern are cell phones in an operating room where the person is distracted all right because they're taking personal calls because they're checking their stocks you know because they're checking tmz whatever so cell phones have no place um in an operating room at all well i'm happy to hear that now, the, the yeah. flip side of this, Doc, and this has been one of my pet peeves, I see people I know who work in medical offices, doctors, nurses, physicians, assistants, whatever, wearing the scrubs out in public. And I'm thinking, I hope you're not going back, going to the office after you've been sitting on that dirty subway seat and then going into a treatment room or worse, into a, an operating room wearing those same scrubs. I hope you would change. I just, this yeah. one disturbs it, me. I know it's a badge it, of honor, but come on, people. <laughs> I agree. In an operating room, 
you do not wear the same scrubs, all right, that you um, wore outside. And in every operating room, you put on a second layer of sterile gowns, uh, those little booties over the shoes, over the head and the hair. So everything that is put on is sterile. Uh, in, even when I do colonoscopies, we put on gowns, you know, and again, seriously, look, look what area of the body I'm dealing with the colon. So that's not very sterile, but we, we always use uh, sterile technique with all of those. And when I see that also, you know, I, I, I don't like it either. And to be quite honest, I think it's people that are sort of trying to show off in some way, which is, which is ridiculous, sure. you know, um, yeah, but those things, the, the scrubs are not entered into any sterile environment uh, without being covered or, and or being removed. So let's well, assured on that. I brought it up to one of my uh, doctor friends. He's like, what's my uniform, man? I have a uniform. I'm like, okay, well, calm well, down. <laughs> no, no, I know. I know. I know. We doctors are, are, you know, we like to protect our egos at all costs. Um, I said, well, where's your white lab coat? Aren't you supposed to have a white lab coat on, too? And he... he he had a different answer for me. But speaking of colonoscopies, and that's the first yeah. time I've ever said that sentence anywhere, uh, there's, there's a, a, a spike in, in colon cancer. Uh, and was there it is. colon and rectal cancer? It's colon and rectal cancer. And since 1970, the incidence, which means how frequent a colon cancer occurs in, in the community, and the deaths from colon cancer have been decreasing. I mean, it's a beautiful, like, downward sloping curve until you get to, for some reason, 2003, 2004. And hmm. then the deaths in colon cancer have been increasing steadily every year. And what's even more concerning is that it's the deaths in people and young people between the ages of 20 and 50 or 54. Why is that concerning? It's because the recommendations for screening for colon cancer all right, are, are not until the age of 50. So they don't suggest anybody screening for colon cancer until you reach 50. But here we have an increase of approximately 1% to 2% per year, cumulative over the last 10 years, of people that are under the age of being screened and they are dying and, and having more colon cancer. So over the past 10 years, that age population between 20 and 50, colon cancer has increased almost 14 to 15%. And what's also interesting, people oh, well, people are getting fatter and obese, and that's a risk factor, and it is, but there is a huge difference between the white Caucasian population and the black population. And you would think, because African Americans tend to have more high blood pressure and diabetes, that it might be higher in the black population. The black population has stayed steadily decreasing, whereas the white Caucasian population is where the increase has occurred over the past 10 years. And we don't know what this means and we don't know why it's happening. But what it does say is if you don't think that you're at risk for colon cancer, get yourself checked anyway, uh, because the main sign of colon cancer is no sign at all. First of all, that, that should be a big shock to everybody. The main sure. sign of colon cancer, the big symptom of colon cancer is no symptom at all. So right. uh, how do is it something we can discuss on this show? Is there an indication? Sure it is. Sure it is. I mean, uh, the nerve endings 
of the colon are outside the colon, not inside. Pretend it's a tube. It's not on the inside of the tube. It's on the outside. So if a colon cancer is growing on the inside of a tube, you're not going to feel pain until that sucker has eaten its way to the outside and starts munching on the nerves, or it's so big it's caused blockage. One of the mm. symptoms and signs that we do see is people having blood in their stool, all right, people becoming anemic because of slow drips of blood that you may not even see. And again, remember our friend, Whoopi, what did she say about prostate cancer? Shut up and get tested, right? I think she was more graphic than that. Well, she said, shut up, bend over and live. Well, you know what? The same thing about colon cancer. <laughs> shut up, bend over and live. If it, if it means that you have to have a rectal examination and have your stool checked on a yearly basis when you go see your doctor, small price to pay to live. Um, and now, that's what it may take. Yeah. Now, Doc, when, when we see a spike like this, and do, this is Dr. Jorge, uh, our regular guest on Wellness Wednesdays, when we see a spike like this taking place in a specific demographic, white males, and you were saying like 25 to or 20 to 50, 50. that right. we hadn't seen it before, uh, what, what, do, what do we do to find out what's causing it? Do they just bring in everybody who's got it and try and find a thread? How do they, they, are, they track are, this They down? are trying to do that. They are doing that to see if it's something genetic, but it seems like it's more than just individual. It seems like it's something population-wise, right? Because it's, it's being seen throughout um, the country and actually maybe worldwide. So this is where the statisticians have to go in and analyze thousands of records all right, and put in many variables. Is this patient male? Is this patient obese? Is this patient have diabetes, high blood pressure? And then they analyze, or, you know, is there a family history? Then they analyze all of that and see if statistically something falls out and, and they can start pointing to it. I personally think um, that we may have a younger population that may not be as, mobile, may not do as much exercise, may be a little bit more overweight. Uh, it could be that the additives that are in our food starting at a certain age, you know, are now rearing their ugly heads. I read the statistic that was kind of alarming. Somebody born in 1990 has twice as great a risk of having colon cancer as somebody born in 1950. All right. So that says something, I think, about what we are putting into our bodies and what we are being bombarded with um, on a daily basis. That's just my opinion. There isn't any proof of that, but it, you know, it just seems to be logical to me that there are a lot of things irritating our colon, uh, colon preservatives, colon additives um, that don't need to be there. Well, I, I certainly know there's a lot of, a lot of things irritating my colon today. But it's, a, it's a different discussion altogether. Well, yeah, well, maybe you. not. You know, stress, you know, maybe not. Stress and all these things that release cortisone in our bodies have been shown to contribute to a higher rate of many diseases, you know, including different forms of cancer. So, you know, having all this stress and all this information and not knowing what to do with it, you know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe we are living in, in an age where we are constantly getting bombarded with all this information that we can do nothing about. Um, so yeah, you, you were joking, but it might be, you know, maybe contributing in some way. Maybe it's, you know what, doc, it might be also along the lines of something as ubiquitous as a cell phone 
or a hundred other different things that are part of lifestyles well, that are not food. Could be, but, but, I, just but wanna, I don't even I don't even want to know how you answer your phone then if you think it contributes to colon cancer. So <laughs> we'll just leave it right there. <laughs> Some ass keeps calling me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm way off the reservation today, We've doctor. Generated for sure. That's... Uh, you know, it's it's all about how we deal with the stress and the craziness. I got to I got to hit a break, but I don't want to I don't want to do it before we mention tonight. Collide.com. Another episode of Dr. Jorge's Battle Against Weight. Is that tonight? That is tonight. Five thirty Pacific time, eight thirty Eastern time. And today uh, we're going to start talking about the dreaded word exercise, something that's necessary. Yeah. Right. But uh, it's important. Absolutely. very yes. important. Thank oh, you, yeah, my please. friend. I really appreciate all this stuff and all, all the clarity you bring. And uh, we'll be there tonight. Collide.com, 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. And you guys do the math in between. We'll talk next week, right. Doc. Thank, Thank you. you. Stay calm, everybody. See you next Stay week. Stay calm, next please. De-stress. We'll be right back. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka on this uh, crazy Wednesday, but uh, happy, happy we had some time with Dr. Jorge who brings clarity. He wants to do a show where we just line up all your questions for a half hour one day, and you guys will be able to call in and or send email questions, text questions, whatever. He really would love to do that. So uh, if you're into it, let me know, and and we'll put it together with the good doctor. It's something that's important to him, and I think it would be good for all of us. So uh, stay tuned on that one. Um, before we wrap up this half hour, I need to remind you about Relief Factor. I take Relief Factor. I've been taking it since April 7th, and I make sure it's part of my day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's an all-natural solution that helps the irritation, the inflammation around my knees and my hips and my back diminish. And when the irritation goes away, the pain goes away. Most people, Relief Factor works in 7 to 10 days. For me, it was on day 8. I'm not a super achiever. It was day 8. And I noticed the inflammation going down because I noticed the pain going down. And I've been on it ever since. Get the three-week quick start pack right now. Pick up the phone and call them at, at uh, 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384. It's Relief Factor. It's not chemicals. It's botanicals. 100% natural and fish oil, wild farmed fish oil. It's all there to help your body do a better job. It does it for me. 80% of the people who get the three-week quick start pack buy it again. So you can go to relieffactor.com or you can call them at 800-500-8384. Relief Factor. When we get back, we'll look into that uh, Kennedy bomb shelter. There's news on Paul Manafort. There's a whole bunch of craziness going on in the world today. And maybe, maybe the weirdest stories of the week from our friend Angie. Stay tuned. 
You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Halftime show over. Time to get into the second half of the program today. Uh, I thought we've done a a whole lot on North Korea, and we'll continue, though, as uh, Mark is on the phone. Is this Mark from Maryland? My call screener's not working today. Yeah, this is Mark from Maryland. How you doing there, buddy? I'm good. Let me get my let me get my Hillary clip ready to make your cat go crazy. No, 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 not, don't do that. Don't do okay, that. Okay, I'm kidding. Uh, kidding. Uh, he's sitting so, right here in my lap, and I don't need traction marks. Okay, uh, uh, where are you on the North Korea situation? Well, you know, we have the ultimate secret weapon to take care of him. All right. We're going to send Chris Christie over there, bring a whole bunch of food with him, and have an eat-a-thon. Whoever survives wins. <laughs> Competitive eating to, uh, to solve a world crisis. Uh, you know, I don't think either of those guys could keep up with Joey Chestnut. So if we're going to go that way, and first of all, I don't think we... I think there's more danger. There's more danger in the after effects of like a kimchi eating contest than than anything the nuclear threat brings. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm just yeah, whoever, see, win, whoever wins the competition button. gets whoever wins the competition gets possession of Dennis Rodman, which kind of would be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Mark, I, you know, there's not a pearl in every oyster. It's an interesting effort. I think uh, a lot of people would like to see Chris Christie go, but he's pretty much, I think he's pretty much going to go off on his own anyway. I think he's serious about trying to become a, uh, a talk radio guy in the world of sports, though, not in politics. Uh, so, yeah, get ready for that. Okay. But thank you, All my right. friend. Okay, thank you. bye-bye. Uh, big news out of out of New York, and I'm actually trying to get our friend Chef Carl Ruiz to weigh in on this on this subject. Our, our buddy, um, the Mad Cuban, because next week, next week for just I think it's three days only, a pop up restaurant from the company that gives us Cheetos is opening in New York. For just three days, the restaurant is going to feature actual menu items from celebrity chef Ann Burrell. And it's going to be in the trendy Tribeca neighborhood, uh, West Broadway, open uh, Tuesday, the 15th through Thursday. You can get a, a reservation via open table. You want to guess? You want to guess? You, you actually have a shot? No, you're not getting a shot. But Cheetos, who, who you know, just... A simple Cheeto can be such a great snack. Cheeto has this this entire menu, and they're using their their new kind of fancy schmancy flavors that they have. They are going to have um, flaming hot and white cheddar mac and Cheetos, which they say has a phenomenal flavor and texture, and it has that that pop 
of Cheetos. They the full menu, which uh, I'm I'm just guessing that Pat and Stu would love love to be a part of this. The full menu includes Cheetos fried pickles, so Cheetos encrusted fried pickles, which actually sounds good. Cheetos grilled cheese and soup. Hmm, how are they doing that? It's a tomato soup with a small grilled cheese sandwiches filled with bacon, tomato, and Cheetos. Bacon, tomato, and Cheetos in a cheese sandwich. Interesting. Cheetos meatballs, which apparently is like a, a classic Italian recipe that they're going to take pork, veal, and, and uh, beef and make the meatballs and then add an herb tomato sauce with sprinkled ricotta cheese. I don't know where the Cheetos are. They're putting Cheetos in there, I guess. Perfectly fried green tomatoes will will uh, include tomatoes breaded with a crispy white cheddar Cheeto crust, fried and paired with a fresh corn and cherry tomato arugula. And uh, believe it or not, there are Cheetos desserts on this menu. Yeah, so after you get done with the uh, flaming Hot and White Cheddar Mac and Cheetos, the Cheetos mix-ups, which are going to be uh, a chicken milanese that's encrusted with Cheetos, and spicy Cheetos nachos, and uh, chicken tacos with flaming Hot Lemon Cheeto flavors. After you finish the main courses, then you can actually have Cheeto desserts. I know what you're thinking. That sounds disgusting. Does it? Cheetos, Sweetos, Crusted Cheesecake? It's a goat cheese cheesecake with a crunchy Sweetos crust. Now that sounds pretty good. And they're also going to add a blueberry compote, sort of like the icing on the top. Mm. There's Cheetos, Sweetos, sweet and salty cookies, so they're going to make cookies using Cheetos. And then white cheddar Cheetos and Cheetos, Sweetos, apple crepes. Now an apple crepe? With a little bit of white cheddar flavor, this could be this could be fantastic. So if if you're a, a person who who wants to attend this, if you're a person who wants to be there for the Cheetos pop up restaurant, you have to put your name on the list. And you have to go to thespottedcheetah.com. Thespottedcheetah.com. That's the name of the Cheetos pop up restaurant. Only three days in New York City. And I'm thinking, it just might behoove me to be there for the opening of the Cheetos restaurant. Watch this space. It's opening on the 15th, 16th, and 17th. If we sound like we're coming from a very noisy place next week, you'll know why. Because we'll be at the Cheetos pop-up restaurant. But I I was hoping that... uh, Chef Ruiz might pop in and let us know if he can make it happen. But uh, we're, we're trying to get him on the horn. Uh, speaking of other strange stories that are out there, uh, you know, you know, at the end of a um, news program, when there's often that one little story that just seems really strange or the anchor doesn't seem to be into it, you know, they'd rather be doing real news. Well, this story was sent to us by uh, one of the one of the stunt brainiacs here, Nancy, who's often uh, responding to my my Twitter questions. And this is uh, a BBC News guy, Simon McCoy, 
doesn't really understand or appreciate the video that he's been given by his news director. You know, someone says, Simon, we're going to finish the show with a, a clip about some surfing dogs. Simon doesn't really appear to get it or appreciate it. And you can tell by the lack of support vocally and the lack of interest he shows in the explanation of the surfing dogs from America. Now, you're watching BBC News. Just bear in mind, it is August. Uh, this does not look like a walk in the park. Dog owners and their pets in California have hit the waves in the second annual World Dog Surfing Championships. Here are the pictures. He looks so unhappy as he throws to the pictures. There's also style, there's confidence, there's the size of the wave. Because some events have really big waves, some have very small waves. There's a lot of style and techniques. It's really interesting. So this is what's known as a package. Simon throws to the package and you see people who have brought their dogs there. And these are dogs on surfboards, just riding about 15 feet on a surfboard. Some of them standing, some of them laying down, holding on for dear life. The competitor's main challenge is to stay afloat on the board. This is in Pacifica near San Francisco, but there are also prizes for the best dressed and tandem surfing dogs. The winner, of course, being crowned top dog. That's a shame. We've run out of pictures. <laughs> I love the sigh in his voice at one point, and then at the very end, as the video runs out and he announces that they, they award top dog, he, he just lets the sarcasm roll, saying, that's a shame. We've run out of pictures. Oh, Simon McCoy, thank you. Thank you for the driest moment of the day so far on a day when we need a little distraction from the possibility of a nuclear war breaking out over in North Korea. Michael Pelka and Puro Pelka. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. We're getting into the uh, Donald Trump time machine. You didn't know that the president gets a time machine, and he can he can tra time travel. And I'm going to take you back to 1999, when then 53 year old Donald Trump. Think about that. 53 year old Donald Trump appeared with uh, Tim Russert on Meet the Press. And the subject, North Korea. What do we do about North Korea? The real estate developer who had kind of been dipping his toe in the politics and the political headlines had this to say. First, I'd negotiate. I would negotiate like crazy. And I'd make sure that we tried to get the best deal possible. But look, Tim, if a man walks up to you on a street in Washington because this is in New York. But if a man walks up and puts a gun to your head and says, give me your money. 
Wouldn't you rather know where he's coming from before he had the gun in his hand? And these people, in three or four years, are going to be having nuclear weapons. They're going to have those weapons pointed all over the world and specifically at the United States. And wouldn't you be better off solving this really potentially unbelievable, and the biggest problem? I mean, we can talk about the economy. We can talk about Social Security. The biggest problem this world has is nuclear proliferation. And we have a country out there in North Korea, which is sort of wacko, which is not a, dumb, not a bunch of dummies. And they are going out and they are developing nuclear weapons. So first of all, let's understand some historical perspective here. Uh, 1999. This was five years after Bill Clinton talked to us as a nation and said, we, we got this North Korea thing down. We're going to. We're going to deal with them. We're going to coddle them. We're going to make sure they don't have a nuclear program. So you fast forward five years, and here's Donald Trump, real estate developer, possible outside political candidate, not even really thinking about it seriously, real estate developer Donald Trump talking about North Korea and it's nuclear problems. So what do we know that in the five years since Bill Clinton said we were going to we were going to take care of it? We didn't take care of it. And that Donald Trump said four years from now, which meant 2003, we were going to be faced with a, a bigger problem with the nuclear North Korea pointing missiles at everybody, everybody in the world, including the United States. The Trumpster continues. They're not doing it because they're having fun doing it. They're doing it for a reason. And wouldn't it be good to sit down and really negotiate something and ideally negotiate? Now, if that negotiation doesn't work, you better solve the problem now than solve it later, Tim. And you know it, and every politician knows it, and nobody wants to talk about it. Jimmy Carter, who I really like, and he went over there. It was so soft. These people are laughing at us. The former general of the Air Force, Merrill McPeak, the former Secretary of Defense, Les Aspen, said you could not launch a preemptive strike against North Korea because the nuclear fallout could be devastating to the Asian Peninsula. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about us using nuclear weapons. I'm saying that they have areas where they're developing missiles. No, but taking out their nuclear do you know that this country would create Tim, a fallout. Tim, do you know that this country went out and gave them nuclear reactors free fuel for 10 years. We, we virtually tried to bribe them into stopping and they're continuing to do what they're doing and they're laughing at us. They think we're a bunch of dummies. I'm saying that we have to do something to stop. But if the military Ideally, told you, Mr. Trump, we can't do you this. You give me two names. You're giving me two names. I don't know. Do you want to do it in five years when they have warheads all over the place, every one of them pointing to New York City, to Washington and every one of our... Is that when you want to do it? Or do you want to do something now? Or do you want to do something now? Donald Trump in 1999... Compare that to Bill Clinton in 1994. And, you know, Trump does sound a little more presidential then than some of the speeches he gives now. I do admit the Donald Trump of 1999 seems a little slicker, if you will. Maybe a little more presidential. Very interesting, is it not? Comparing 1994, 1999, and 2017. 18 years before Donald Trump was sitting in the White House. He was making predictions that are now just absolutely spot-on true that we had this. And, and Russert was trying to make it clear, you can't knock out those nukes because you're going to have nuclear fallout. Well, you might be able to disable that program in a cyber attack. You might be able to address it that way. 
and then you send in the military to, uh, as as General Mattis said, bring down the regime. And that really means just you-know-who, Kim Jong-un. It's a very interesting little bit of history, isn't it? When you look back and you see 1999, Donald Trump actually warned everybody of this. After 1994, Bill Clinton said, we got this, we're negotiating, we're handling it. The only thing missing from Trump's analysis was Iran's involvement, which I think is evident. Iran apparently very involved. Uh, There's more on the horizon. We still have to get to that uh, farewell to a Hollywood legend. I know, I mentioned it yesterday. I'll get to it today, I promise. Plus, Angie called. She wants to get into uh, strangest stories of the day. God only knows what they're going to be. We'll deal with that next hour on Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network.